Hi, can anyone hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep, great. Hi, Nora. <laughs> No, I, it's okay. They're muted. Thank you. Nora, can you unmute yourself so I can meet you? Sure. Hmm. Let me see if we can. Nora, can you say something to see if I can hear you? Sure. Um, I'm Nora. I met you at my at one time. Are you Nora, able to hear me? can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. Are you able to hear me? I see Amy. Hi, Amy. Can you unmute yourself and I'd love to hear you? Hi. Um. Huh, I can you hear me? You guys. Can you hear me? Hmm. Let's see what's going on here. <laughs> Just trying to figure out why I can't hear anyone. Gabby, can you help me? I don't know why I can't hear anyone. No, but they're not on mute. I know. Amy, can you try and say something to see if I can hear you? Hello, can you hear me? Huh, I totally can't hear. Are you able to hear me? I'm sorry, once I'm trying to figure this out. Oh, goodness. Hmm. Input, no, not the input. No, it's on a hundred. No, but it's better. Now it's the. Mm, I don't know why I can't hear anything. 
Test speaker. Do you want to test the speaker there? Do you see test speaker? but you get real results. So you could check Chloe Ting um, website that she has and then you can check out. Sorry, ladies. Um, Trying to work this. Red challenge. Yeah. I'll see if you're interested in it. One more minute. Can I do that? Can phone call? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear us? Oh, okay. Great. I got it. Thank you. Okay. Great. How do I do that? So well, what are you saying? No, I was I was saying I, I was asking you to speak to see if I can hear you. Um, can you hear me better now? Yes. Okay, great. So I would love to hear where you're at geographically right now, and when were you at Mayano? So I'm in San Francisco now with my parents. Um, I was at my note this past year, actually, but I think I had like one class that you taught for everyone, but I was in the yeshiva classes, so I don't think I got a chance to learn with you so much. Got it. That's a great opportunity. Um, so you left because of the corona, or did, did you leave before that already? No, I left, yeah, when everything, the week after Purim. Got it. Okay. So San Francisco. Great. So welcome. <laughs> welcome. Um, so I'll say first of all, Hadass, those of you here and haven't um, met me, usually I teach uh, the JSP Tehillim. 
and I live here in, in Jerusalem. Um, and I see we've got Amy. Amy, when, when were you in my notes and where are you now? Um, so I'm from South Africa. I'm home in South Africa in Joburg. Um, I was at the Mayan Art Winter Program, I think, three Decembers ago. Mm. Great. Okay. So, yeah. so what, what were you doing before this whole thing um, started? I was actually just starting a new job, which currently I'm not even doing at the moment because of um, lockdown and everything, I'm not considered essential, so. Got it, okay, so welcome from Joburg. Who else do we have here? We've got Sita. Sita, I don't see you, but I see your name on here. And I've missed you. You're in my class, as this all happened. I think the last class you were you were still there. Uh, Sita, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Okay. Thank God. Where did you go back to remind me? I went a couple of days before Nora left, actually. I think we left around, um, when did we leave? A couple of days, maybe a week after Perm, I think. Mm hmm Yeah. And so where are you now? I'm in San Diego. San Diego. Got it. That's right. Okay. All right. And we've got, I see Yael. Yael, can you hear us? Okay, and uh, I see D is on. D, can you hear me? D, can you hear? Okay, so hopefully she'll join us uh, soon. All right, so um, I hope you can hear me well. Uh, so I'm going to do what I usually do uh, when I teach in my notes, and um, I'm going to uh, teach a parak in Tehillim, which um, I found very appropriate for myself for, for this time. Um, so we've all been part of this emotional experience of COVID-19, and with that now on this emotional uh, kind of roller coaster of Yom HaShoah, uh, today is Yom Azikaron here, and and tomorrow night is this Independence Day, which also elicits like very different kind of um, emotions from us here. Um, so I'd like to take uh, this opportunity to learn and honor and in memory of the fallen soldiers and any of the people who have died in, in various terror attacks. Uh, so I'd love to learn uh, in their memory. Um, and what I'd like to do is learn with you chapter 142. I'm going to share my screen. Can you hear me well? Yeah? Okay. I'm going to share my screen and where is it? Let's 
Sorry, this is my second time doing this. Um, one minute. Oh, sorry, this is not what I meant. I'll share. Oh, goodness. Ken, I'm trying to share my screen, honey. Sorry, I've got my old team here. That was it on any. Yeah. Oh, thank you. No. Okay. Thank you. Great. Amazing. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you see? Can you see the source sheet? Okay. Great. Sorry, I'm really trying to maneuver this new reality for me. This was like a jumping into uh, deep waters trying to do this. Uh, this is not the way that I usually teach. So this is a this is new. Okay, so I'm gonna start uh, chapter 142, guys. <laughs> okay, so I'm a skill of David when he was in the camp. Guys, I'm sorry. One second. One second. The dog snuck in here. Okay. I'm a skin of David when he was in the cave of prayer. With my voice, I cry out to Hashem. With my voice, I supplicate Hashem. I pour out before him my speech. My distress, I recite before him. When my spirit fails um, within me, you know my course. They have laid a trap in the path I walk. Looking to the right, I see that no one recognizes me. Escape is lost for me. No one seeks my soul. I cried out to you, Hashem. I said, you are my refuge, my lot in the land of the living. Hearken to my cry, for I have become very low. Save me from the pursuers, for they have overpowered me. Take my soul out of confinement to give thanks to your name. Because of me, the righteous will crown you, because you will recompense me. Okay, so what I usually do when I'm in a regular class, I'd have you all kind of take a minute and think about what um, this is about. I thought this was very relevant, I thought here that he was in a cave, that he was isolated, uh, calling, out to, calling out to Hashem. Um, first of all, we'll start with the word maskila David. Right, a maskil of David. It's one of those words, those of you who have been with me, know that the beginning of, often, of, of Perek Selim, start with a word that the commentators are not totally sure what it means. The word maskil might have something to do with Musar Hiskel, with some kind of a wise learning. Um, and this is obviously a prayer when he was in the, in the cave. Now the question is, what is the, which cave are we talking about? What is the historical context. So two different ideas that most commentators thought this had to do with, um, both of them having to do with David fleeing from Saul. The first one having to do with the cave of Adulam. The cave of Adulam was, those of you who remember the stories of, of David and Saul, Saul started chasing David after he thought David was after the kingship, after he killed Goliath and 
the women said that Saul King, uh, killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Um, so then David had to escape from him time and time again. One of the times he, ha- he ran away to Gath. Um, he had to feign insanity because he was going to be killed there. And then he ran to the cave, cave of Adulam. So some people think that the cave that we're talking about is the cave of Adulam, which appears in Shmuel Aleph, um, chapter 22. So this is one idea. Uh, the second idea is the cave that he goes to in the desert of Ein Gedi. This appears in Shmuel Aleph, chapter 24. And what happens there, I don't know if you remember the story, uh, David runs away from Saul. Saul comes with this whole army of of people, and um, so and David and his men hide in a cave. And when they hide in the cave, Saul comes in there. He leaves his army behind. He comes in there to uh, to relieve himself. And the men of David tell David, "Well, this is your opportunity to sing to kill Saul." And David kind of thinks about it, and he says, "You know, he is the chosen one. It's not time for me to be king yet. I won't kill him." And what he does, he will let them. Uh, hurt him, but what he does quietly is he cuts off a piece of Saul's coat, and when Saul walks away, he kind of says, hey, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Look, I I had mercy upon you. I don't know why you keep trying to kill me. So Saul becomes uh, kind of repentant and um, starts crying, and he says, I know that uh, you're going to be the king one day, but I just, I I beg you, don't uh, slay my offspring when I am gone. So, um, so David promises, and he goes away. So this is another idea of like which this could be the cave in Ein Gedi from chapter 24 in Samuel 1. Um, so we'll come back to these historical contexts later. But obviously he's in the cave, and um, and he's feeling very alone, right? And he starts out saying, um, "With my voice I cry out to Hashem. With my voice I supplicate Hashem." I pour out before him my speech, my distress I recite before him. Now you should feel comfortable. There aren't that many of us. Um, if you have any questions, just unmute yourself and, uh, and ask. But we can see it's like very vocal. He uses the word koli twice here. He says, my, my, with my voice I cry out, with my voice I supplicate Hashem. I pour out his speech before him, my distress I recite before him. So over and over, this is what I am doing. And the question is, what is his distress in, in verse 3? My distress I recite before him. And I think the answer to that is, is verses 4 and 5. Um, when my spirit fails within me, and you know my course or my path, they have laid a trap in the path I walk. Looking to the right, I see that no one recognizes me. Escape is lost for me. No one seeks my soul. Right? So this is his distress. Right, first of all, he feels, when he says his spirit fails within me, he feels faint. Um, his spirit feels faint. And, but you, Hashem, you know my course. And I saw one commentary that says, when it says, and you know my course, meaning, but you know my course, meaning I don't have any energy to really relate all the specifics of my distress. But you, I don't need to because you know my course. You know what's going on with me. They have laid a trap in the path, in the regular path that I, that I walk. This is what my enemies do to me. Looking to the right, this is verse 5, I see that no one recognizes me. 
escape is lost for me. No one seeks my soul. And this is like the epitome of feeling lonely here, right? I look to the right. And the question is like, why is he looking specifically um, only to the right side? Um, and, and if you see here, there are two, I, put, I brought another, this is, the, in general, this is the Chabad translation into English. Um, those of you who have been in my class know that I always talk about the fact that translation is interpretation. And here I brought two different interpretations um, that are very different from each other. So here it says, looking to my right, I see that no one recognizes me. But the other uh, translation is, look at my right and see. He is asking God to look to his right and see that he has no friends. The Hebrew seems much closer to the second suggestion here. Like, look to the right and see that no one is there. For me, he's beseeching God. Um, but again, the question is like, why, why to the right? So one idea, according to both the Radak and the Meiri, is that um, it's like a shorthand way of writing what really should have been looking to the right. I see that no one recognizes me. Escape is lost for me. Looking to my left, it's kind of embedded in there. No one seeks my soul, meaning I look to and fro, and no one is there for me. But the other idea is that um, the right, being on someone's right, is being someone's confidence, confidence. But it's like the way that we say someone's right-hand man, right? It's like the closest friend that, that looks out for you. So looking to the right, I see that no one recognizes me. No one knows me, really. Escape is lost for me. No one seeks my soul. So there's no one really close to me when I look to the right. I'm utterly alone. And when it says escape is lost for me, I thought some commentators say because my enemies kind of are all around me. So no one's to my right. There's no friend to my side, by my side. And all around me there's these enemies and therefore escape is lost for me. No one seeks my soul. Even more, uh, no one cares about me. As you can see the Sephiria, um translation here. Utterly, utterly alone. Um, and that might even be worse than all the dangers of his enemies, the fact that he's feeling like there's really no one there, that he's completely isolated. Now, going back to the question of the historical context of, of which cave are we talking about, um, I, I saw one commentator um, that had a hard time uh, with both of those ideas historically. He said that um, they don't really fit this idea of feeling so lonely and alone. Because in the first one, when King David is in the cave of Adulam, right afterwards, after he reaches Adulam, it says that his brothers, his family, and, um, and 400 other men who are going through turmoil have joined him to be on his side. So it doesn't really make sense that he feels so alone. The other one, which um, talks about cutting off Saul's coat, he kind of had the upper hand. So why would he feel like his enemies uh, are after him and that he's got no hope? Maybe it happened before Saul came in. I don't know. But I would like to suggest that perhaps um, he's referring to something that we've probably all felt before. We could be in a crowded room. We could even be amongst friends and feel lonely. And that's like a more existential type of loneliness. Um, 
I don't know, I think especially in the last period of time, many of us have felt that um, as well. I don't know, anyone in the last, I don't know, uh, two months felt lonely in this time? You know, I have. Anyone else? Yes, definitely at times during this um, quarantine issue. Yeah. Right, it's, uh, it makes it very difficult. But I, um, I feel like it's really, uh, that's like a saving grace of this whole like, situation is having the technology to still be in touch with people. And like when someone yeah. just, like I, I had a friend call yesterday who I haven't spoken to in like over a year. Like when someone just reaches out like that, it's like really, it's really powerful. Even though I'm not with other people, I'm like, I feel, I feel less alone from that. Absolutely. For sure. I don't know what we would have done if this was 50 years ago, even 10 years ago, not having this and, uh, and being both, you know, isolated and not having access to anyone and not seeing anyone's face. I'm thinking about the people who are in isolation in the hospital at least can see people through the screen um, through robots. I mean, it's, um, it's definitely right. It's definitely the technology has, has let us feel a little less um, isolated. But even then, it's still, it's still not simple to be isolated, to be physically, uh, not to be able to hug people, um, not to be able to share food together, to be on, together on Shabbat, and the Chagim, the or all alone, the Seder. Um, so, for sure. Um, so, going with this thought, this experience of, of having this existential kind of loneliness, when does loneliness actually begin? When does Torah first relate to the experience of, of loneliness? And that comes already um, at the creation story, right? God uh, creates, has all creations, and all creations are tov, all of them are good. It gets to the sixth day and creates human beings, man, um, it says that uh, Adam named all the different animals. According to the Midrashim, he looked for a partner, didn't find a partner in any of them, and that's when he felt his own loneliness in the world, and that's when God said, um, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helpmate against him. Right? Um and uh, and it's lot of God declares it's not it's not good to be alone existentially it's not good to be alone essentially um, and this is well known that there are two different uh, ways of telling the creation story two different versions of creating um, man and um, obviously you know biblical criticism when they looked at it they're like oh these are two different sources they were kind of put together later on. Um, but according to Rev Soloveitchik, and I don't know if any, any of you studied Rev Soloveitchik a little bit and the Lonely Man of Faith. Any of you heard of it? A little bit. Have you heard of it? Have you studied I've it, Nora? I've heard of him before. Sorry? Sorry, this is Sarah. I joined late. I've heard of him before. Hi, hi Sarah. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? It's good to see you. Okay, you too. I can't see for some reason. Let's see if I don't share. Hmm. How do I do this? Oh, here. Now I see your, I see your picture. Okay.
Okay. Um, I don't see everyone. Oh, here we go. Got it. Okay. As I said, I'm navigating still. Um, okay. So, so Russell Vechik suggested that here we have two different perspectives of, of creation um, that are being presented here. And they're being told in two different ways because we need to understand, even though as human beings we have both these personalities that I'll discuss in a minute within us, in order to understand each of them, they needed to be written um, separately. So in front of you here, um, you have a summary of a couple of the chapters. I, I argue if you do have, it's not, it's a long essay, but it is only an essay, uh, reading Rav Solvechik inside, The Lonely Man of Faith. Um, and um, here he talks about the fact that he calls it Adam 1 and Adam 2. Adam 1 is a social creature, right? I'm reading from inside here. Adam 1 is a social creature. Male and female are created together. His quest for dignity can be realized only within a community, since dignity entails impressing others by means of one's accomplishments. Furthermore, the quest for dignity requires the cooperation of others, since one person alone cannot master a hostile environment. So Adam 1 was told to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, to, um, to multiply, uh, and for that he needs a society so they can conquer nature together, um, and he's born together with the female already, and they're, they're this society that works together, but it's more utilitarian. Um, as opposed to Adam too, he was told to cultivate the garden, um, and whereas the first account, male and female, were, um, were created together, in the second account, as I said earlier, um, Adam needed to feel this loneliness, and only then um, uh, Eve was, or the first Isha was created. Um, sorry, one second. So it says here, Adam too, however, is created in solitude. Loneliness is inherent to his very being. In order to redeem himself from this situation, which God seemed to, deemed to be not good, meaning to forge an existential community which will relieve him of his loneliness, he is required to sacrifice a part of himself, i.e. he needed to give his rib or his side um, in order to build that real connection and community. It's not utilitarian, but really he calls it the covenantal community, really to attach himself to God and to, um, to women. Okay. Um, so the world here, right, man has both those sides and we've got that social being of ours and at the same time we've got that very lonely part that's, um, that's, that's unique. Um, so my other hat, um, also I'm a, those of you who know me, I'm a, I'm a therapist, I'm a clinical social worker, and different than, than psychology, um, the way I was trained was to look at systems. and um, and social systems. So we look at family and we look at community and we look at society and we see how humans or how people interact with those systems around them and how those systems affect them. So it's always interesting to me to, to think about that in the context of, of working with people. Um, I'm going to share the screen again. Um, and there's, there's a study that came out two years ago, Cygnus study, 
Um, Cigna is a corporation that deals with, uh, with global health services and with uh, health insurance. And two years ago, I'm going to only read a few of these. If any of you want the source sheets later, feel free to, to write to me or to call me. I'm happy to give them. But a few very uh, concerning things came up. Um, this is probably not a surprise to you all. For example, nearly half of Americans report sometimes are always feeling alone or left out. Now, there was a huge rise in, I believe, 2007 when iPhones came out. There was a huge uh, rise in people um, feeling alone and left out. One in four Americans rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. Uh, last one I'll read now. Two in five Americans sometimes are always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they're isolated from others. I would, I really wonder if they did this now um, again, what they would, what kind of numbers they would come up with. Now another one that I actually read is um, down there, Generation Z, which are adults, age 18 to 22, is the loneliest generation and claims to be in worse health than other generations. Um, so that's very concerning. We're not, you know, doing great in terms of our loneliness and how we're, we're connecting to, to people. And the question is, is, is what we can do um, about that. I mean, it came to a level where, where Britain, two years ago, I don't know if you know this, um, came up with, they, they um, appointed a minister of loneliness. You all know this? Have you heard of this? In their government, there's a minister of loneliness. I know it sounds like a character from Harry Potter. Um, it's not the minister of magic, it's the minister of loneliness. And um, um, I'll share the screen more one time. I hope it's not annoying that I'm sharing it over and over like this, but I'm finding my way around here. Um, so this is from, when I looked this up, I found an article from Time Magazine, um, again, from two years ago. Um, the woman that they um, appointed, Tracy Crouch, um, says herself that after she gave birth to her child, um, and even though she had networks of friends, family, and a wonderful partner, she began feeling cut off from the world. And she felt depression six years earlier when she became a member of parliament. So again, showing us that both um, being with people that are even loving and having success are not necessarily things that make us feel together with other people, and we still feel that, um, that sense of, of loneliness. Um, another last one is, um, it's become a public health concern. Many countries are dealing with this. And um, I'll just cite the last study from Harvard Business Review at the end of it, citing a study that said social isolation is associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Um, so that's, um, I think, quite concerning and depressing <laughs> to hear. Um, and it's interesting that the MS the last word there was in a time, in a world of hyper-connectivity, we are shockingly alone. We'd expect to be more together. But maybe as Nora, I, right, with Nora that point, right, you pointed out earlier with social, with like the technology, how we can be during this time, Dafka, connected in ways that we couldn't be um, before. And how do we use this as, as an opportunity? Um, I want to suggest, I want to, there, there's a discipline in, in psychology called uh, existential psychotherapy. And that's different than your regular psychodynamic 
treatment uh, looks at the four uh, concerns, basic concerns of, of humanity. Um, it talks about meaning, it talks about freedom, it talks about death and loneliness. Those are the four fears and struggles on an existential level. And when it talks about loneliness, it discusses intrapersonal loneliness, which is when we're disconnected from parts of ourselves. Uh, interpersonal loneliness, which is being isolated um, or estranged from other people. And there are cultural um, uh, reasons for that as well. Like more and more there aren't, like the institutions that once used to uh, support um, intimacy and, um, and connection are kind of dying away. Um, the concept of um, having a family doctor, um, the marriage institution, local merchants, um, you know, not, not people are more secular, so there's less church and synagogue going. Um, so in general, people are becoming more and more disconnected from, from each other. Um, one of the people that I, that I very much admire and, and often listen to is Brené Brown. I've brought her in my classes, those of you who have been there. Um, she is, I'm going to share my screen again, she's a researcher who um, spent two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. She has many YouTube talks and, um, and books, which she's, she's very inspiring. She actually has something now on Netflix as well. Um, and she makes a distinction between belonging and fitting in. And she says like this, it's on the source sheet here. Belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and by seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Okay, so there's a difference between belonging and fitting in. Right, and she actually asks families, like, how much do you, how do you, like, do your children feel like they need to fit into the family, or do they feel like they belong to the family? Do we feel like we need to fit into society in our social circles, or do we, you know, feel like we belong to them? And that's like a very different attachment. And she said, in order to belong, we first need to belong to ourselves. We first need to incorporate the different parts of ourselves. That intrapersonal part, I think, is first the first part that we need to address. And I think during this social isolation time, when we're usually running around and it's hard for us to, um, to really think about what's important to me, you know, who is important to me. I think during this time of social isolation, I've found, both for myself and for people around me, people are asking really important questions. What is important and who is important? What are parts of myself that I would like to really focus on and work on that I'm not giving enough nourishment to? People are finding ways who haven't exercised in the past are finding ways to exercise. Um, people are finding ways to connect in ways they haven't connected. As you said, Nora, you know, if a friend that called you after you haven't spoken to her in a year, that is so special. 
like someone remembered me, right? Someone really thought about me. And it's probably because also, I don't know, I don't know what the circumstances are, maybe it's because she finally has time to really think about who do I care for, right? Um, so, so that's, it's really, for me, it's been an opportunity to think about who are those people and what, what, what parts of me um, do I want to, to relate to again? Um, going back to verse four for a second, and then I'll do a quick, if you have writing utensils, a quick writing thing. Um, sorry, verse four, just so we can see it. Verse four. When he says here, I think the English doesn't make it as, as clear, but he says, you know my course, you know my path. They have laid a trap in the path that I walk. And the Hebrew suggests it's the path that I, the path that I usually walk, the, the regular path. And I, looking at this verse, it kind of felt to me like, um, we all had this for myself. I had this path. I had my routine and I had the chores that I do. And I had, you know, like this is what I do on Sunday. This is what I do on Monday. This is how I go to work. And these are the people I associate with. And the, the trap, like meaning the, the pit that was put there for us, is on one hand very disappointing. There are many things that I miss. I really miss my dance class. Now I can do dance things online, but I miss my dance teacher. I miss being with my dance group um, and, and, and that brought joy into my life and that's disappointing and it's painful um, not to be able to that. I, I love to hug, so it's very hard for me not to hug my friends, not to see my friends even. Uh, my family was supposed to come here. Uh, they come twice a year and they were supposed to come for Pesach and I don't know when the next time is that I'm going to see them. So there, there's a straight path that keeps us you know, it, it brings joy to our lives. It brings regularity to our lives. There are things that took me years, like to go back to dance. I was in my, you know, I was 40 when I went back to dancing after many years that I haven't danced. Like that took, that took a lot of courage to go back and it, and it took a lot of effort and, and that's disappointing. But at the same time, I've been thinking about all the things that, all the paths, the routines that have been broken down but what can that now, what can rise from that? What can be renewed from that place of brokenness? So what I want you to do for a couple minutes, I mean, um, how do I share screen? Here. One second. Okay, um, so this is your writing exercise. Take a couple minutes. I want you to write down the question and then take more time later on. Um, what do I miss? What do I most miss from my old patterns and routines? What has been broken? Has something grown and renewed in me from this change or brokenness? What important questions regarding different parts of me have risen? Okay, I'm going to keep this on here, and I'm going to give you a couple minutes to start 
thinking about this, um, but I would I would love for you to to take the time to um, think about it further after. So take a couple minutes. Okay, so stop here. Please continue uh, later because these are, I think, uh, important questions. Um, but they, I think, they need a, their own kind of meditation and and um, appropriate time. Um, so I want to go back to our um, psalm. Second. So from this very like this place of utter loneliness. When he says there's no one there, no one cares about me, then he finds God. He turns to God and he says, I cried out to you, Hashem. I said, you are my refuge, my lot in the land of the living. Um, before that, and, and he said, I pour out before him my speech, but here he turns straight to God and he says, you. I cried out to you, Hashem. Right? There's no one else. There's no other address to my, to my needs. You are my refuge. You are my lot, my, my portion in the land of the living. Um, if I'm going to live, then I need to be focused on you. Uh, you're, you're my only refuge. Um, and it becomes second person. It becomes very intimate. Um, and I, I think it's from that place of loneliness, we have the possibility of, of really turning to Hashem and realizing He is the source. He's the source of all. Um, 
And we ha I think, again, on an existential level, like Rabbi Saul Rachik said, we all have this part of us that's the lonely man of faith that can only turn to the one other lonely one, quote-unquote, to the one, to the Hashem Echad. Um, just as I am one, I can turn to the one. Um, and when I turn to that unity of God, I can feel the interconnectedness of, of everything else. Um, there's a beautiful quote I found many, many years ago, which I, not even written by a Jewish woman, but I, I, I really think she, she hit the, the way that she wrote it was, was beautiful and um, kind of can, we can really um, resonate it with me. Um, name is Lillian Smith. She was actually a writer and a social critic of uh, Southern, the, she was like one of the white women who was um, very much um, into civil rights in the South, in Georgia. Um, and she said like this, she said, to pray is so necessary and so hard. Hard not because it requires intellect or knowledge or a big vocabulary, but because it requires of us humility. And that comes, I think, from a profound sense of one's brokenness and one's need. Not the need that causes us to cry, get me out of this trouble quick, but the need that one feels every day of one's life, even though one does not acknowledge it, to be related to something bigger than oneself, something more alive than oneself, something older and something not yet born that will endure through time. Um, so this notion that through the brokenness and through that loneliness, we can actually turn to Hashem um, and relate to something bigger uh, than, than who we are. Um, that, that feeling that, that I'm not alone, I think, really changes King David's perception. When he calls, he says, there's no one there, no one cares. And then he turns to God. I think that's what creates a change. And as we can see, um, makes the psalm a lot more positive now. Verse 6, I cried out to you, Hashem. I said, you are my refuge, my lot in the land of the living. Hearken or listen to my cry, for I've become very low. Save me for my pursuers, for they have overpowered me. Take my soul out of confinement to give thanks to your name. Because of me, the righteous will crown you, because you will re recompense me. So he can already see the, um, he can visualize the, his personal redemption. Because right? when he says, um, take my soul out of my confinement to give thanks to you, to your name, he can already visualize himself coming out of confinement and praising God uh, in the future when he is there. Um, and that the righteous will crown you, and we'll talk about this in a minute, because you will recompense me. He can already visualize that. And I think the turning point was from that lonely, broken place that turned to, to God. Um, one second. Um, and and the, when I was reading this again today, I was thinking that when he looks at... Um, when he says in verse 7, hearken to my cry, for I've become very low. Save me from my pursuers, for they have overpowered me. 
And it could be, I think that's the pshat, that's the literal understanding, is that he's talking about those same enemies that entrapped them before. Um, but I was thinking maybe when we really go deeply inside ourselves um, and connect to Hashem, so the pursuers are more those internal pursuers, those internal enemies of ours that he is asking God to um, to release him from because they have overpowered me. And what I'm referring to, and those of you who have been in my class have heard me kind of refer to this idea that um, those internal voices are voices inside us that say that we're not good enough, that we're not lovable, that, um, that we're totally alone and no one cares about us, that we don't deserve to have our personal uh, redemption. And, and perhaps when he goes in, this is what he's asking for. The external enemies will be taken care of, but the internal enemies is first what he has to take care of um, and what he's asking Hashem to, to help him with. Um, and then verse, um, the last verse, he's asking, take my soul out of confinement to give thanks to your name. And I think we all kind of yearn for that at this time. Um, we want to live our lives fully and be brought out of confinement. But here, again, I think he's talking about this, his own confinement and his, like, psychologically, spiritually. And then there's an interesting last part of the verse. Um, as you can see, there are two different translations here. The Chabad.org translation is, because of me, the righteous will crown you, because you will recompense me. Now, this has to do with... Um, the, the verb yechtiru. Um, some trans, some trans yechtiru as crowns, um, as you can see here from the word keter, which means crown. But the word keter only shows up biblically in the book of Esther as, as a crown. But that's a, that's a very late usage of the word crown before that other words were used like atara and nezer to, to be a crown. It's called a keter because lechater means to, to surround, and a keter surrounds the head. Um, so things like that, at this time, they weren't using the word crown. Right? It says, bi yachtiru tzadikim ki tigmol alai. I think the second interpretation here is closer to the Hebrew. The righteous shall glory in me for your gracious dealings with me. Meaning they will... Even that's not the best translation. I think they will kind of encompass me. The, the righteous people will kind of dance around me um, because of, of the way that you graciously um, dealt with me. Um, which is, is very and is a very stark difference than when it discussed the fact that he had no... Um, I'm going to stop sharing so I can, I can see you all. Why can't I see you? One second. Here. Okay. Um, right? There, was, there were the verses that discussed the fact that there was no uh, friend at his right hand and that enemies were surrounding him. And here he can visualize his own redemption and he can see that the righteous will surround him in this dance, seeing that God redeems him. And again, I, I think this idea of going inside and connecting to God and connecting to the one kind of reconnects us 
to, to all of God's creation, to the unity of everything. And from someone who had no one around him that cared about him, he can visualize these righteous people kind of uh, dancing um, around him as God redeems him, which is a very different kind of, right? He's out of his loneliness. The second he's got Hashem, the second, the second he connects to Hashem, he can already start connecting to other people as well. Um, I see our time is almost up. So what I, what I want to end with is, um, is thoughts for us of how to, especially at this time, get out of our loneliness, those of us who feel lonely. I think we all have these moments in general where we feel either existential loneliness, intrapersonal or interpersonal loneliness. Um, and, I, and I want to end with this beautiful interpretation that I saw um, this week relating to the Parsha, which I thought was very appropriate. Sharing screen again, okay. Um, a woman named Dvorah Weisberg on the Parsha, and she talks about the Metzorah. The, the Metzorah is a result of contracting a disfiguring disease has been exiled from the community. Cured of his illness, the Mitzvah is now permitted to rejoin the community, but the period of isolation may have left him angry and withdrawn. The priest goes out to meet the Mitzvah, in part to draw him back into the community. Re-entering the community is a gradual process. Reflecting the difficulty the Mitzvah experiences reconnecting with other human beings. Just as the priest goes out to meet the Mitzvah, so too we must reach out to those in our midst who have been excluded, drawing them back in into a caring community. Um, this was a chiddush for me. I never thought about the fact that the priest goes out to meet the Mitzvah. Um, and this, this has to do with the fact that he's bringing him back, he's escorting him back into the community. And I think maybe, you know, part of feeling lonely has to do with feeling insignificant, like King David, feeling insignificant, no one cares, I have nothing to contribute to the world. And I think maybe part of the ability to feel less lonely is to draw out other people from their loneliness. First of all, to attach ourselves to the idea that we all have a part of us that's lonely existentially, and we're not in this alone in that feeling and experience. Um, but by drawing out, being that priest who draws out other people from their loneliness, we come out of our own loneliness. And that's when we can really connect with each other. Um, that's when we get to embody the Selim Elohim, that part of that godly part of us. Um, and it's like a win-win, because on one hand, we get to feel like we're contributing in our significance. And there are, there's a lot of research about how volunteering, for example, um, helps with depression and how it helps our well-being. Um, and it doesn't have to be big things. And I, I would like to end with, to take a, take a minute to do a writing exercise for yourselves, or like who are two people who could really benefit from connecting with you? Um, that you would actually in the next week um, are committing to reaching out to. People who may be feeling really lonely at this time um, and by seeing them and being with them, 
we get to validate their existence, we get to validate their experience, and we get to be seen as well. And that's something that takes us out of that loneliness when we get to be in community together. So take Mamasha a minute, write just two names for yourself of people who may be lonely at this time and you're committing in the next week to reach out to. So do that in the next minute. Okay, um, so I'd like to end, and I'd love to hear any comments or thoughts, but I, I really pray that amongst this, you know, it's, it's very worrying what's, what's going on, and, you know, those of us, in, I don't know if anyone else is in Israel right now, like, we're, they're planning, like, they're planning and getting kids back to schools and going back to work. I don't know where everyone is at this moment um, in the next couple of weeks, but, um that's concerning for me, you know, it's worrying. And um, I think reality won't be the same for at least for a while. And I pray that we can use this as an opportunity to connect to ourselves and the different parts of us that are estranged, we're estranged from. It's an opportunity to connect to Hashem and it's an opportunity to connect to other people um, and get out of that existential loneliness. Um, so I pray that we can use that um, in a productive, um, wonderful way to bring light and connectivity to, to the world. Um, I would love to take any questions or comments. Very hard for me that you were so, that you were muted the whole time. I'm used to questions and discussion. So this is very new for me. So I'd love for you to unmute yourselves. And if anyone have any comments, questions, thoughts, then I would, uh, I would love to, to hear it, and it's, it's wonderful to see Sarah, your face, and um, and uh, Dee, I don't know if you're with us. Dee, are you with us? Oh, here you are. So unmute yourself, everyone. And Hanasubi, I see your picture there. I don't know if you're here. I can't hear you all. Dee, are you speaking? Hello. Hi. It's Hannah Tzvia and Jamie. Who's speaking right now? Hannah Tzvia and Jamie. We're in Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for the class. Thank so you. Good. Anyone, any comments, something that you're taking away? I have a comment. Um, yes. Thank you for the class. It was so spot on. I think like really feeling peak loneliness right now. So I can uh, resonate with the topic. One of the things that um, my meditation teacher brought up around this too, was like just this from a spiritual perspective, just like this global sense of loneliness, like this global energy of loneliness that's been created. And sometimes I feel like when the loneliness comes in, it's like, okay, is this my loneliness or is this just this global loneliness that's here right now? because it's such a common mm. feeling that's going on. Um, but I could really resonate when you said that uh, you're missing hugs, because I'm missing that too. Mm. Sure, well, send, I'm sending you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, sending one back. I, today I did a Zoom hug with my mom where you just like hug yourself for a while <laughs> and pretend that you're hugging the person. Yeah. 
I think so also we can actually get back to it. Sorry. I'm I'm also actually starting. Uh, oh, I don't know. Is that music? Can you hear that music, or can you still hear me? I can hear you. Okay. So basically, um, I am also actually I'm starting a program in the fall to work in social work. So I've spent the whole year kind of writing about why I want to be in social work and, um, you know, looking into it a lot and preparing for an interview for a stipend now. Um, and I think one of the things that's really highlighted for me, like what Sarah just said about this energy of loneliness, I think for a lot of us, it's been created, but I think it's really important also for those of us for whom it's just being created to recognize like that it exists and we have, we have such an opportunity to do something about it. And um, I just was listening to a panel, obviously on Zoom, somebody who works with um, children in foster care and she said one of the teenagers she was working with um, mentioned to her, uh, she said a very powerful line that resonated with me. She said, the whole rest of the world now un understands how it is to be in foster care. You have nobody who's on your side and you have no idea where you're gonna be tomorrow. Um, and we're all experienced. It was just such a powerful reminder to me um, that I'm, you know, I assume will resonate with you also in, in that field that like we have, for us, we're getting a taste of like how important it is to reach out for other people also at other times, like that when our loneliness is taken away, there are people whose loneliness will still be there, but like we have the ability to do something about that. So it's like, it feels like such a powerful, for me, it's like such a powerful spur of like, yes, this is a career you need to go into. And like, I'm getting a little bit of a taste of like, this is why it's so important for us to be reaching out to other people. Sure, I mean, right now, unfortunately, like the statistics in Israel that domestic abuse is like 500% on the right. Anyway, the way that it's reported anyway, is on the rise, like crazy, crazy. I mean, on one hand, it's nice to speak about opportunities and connect connection, but when people are put in these difficult situations, then, then really, you know, they need the support um, and they feel very alone. And, um, and there is what we can do about it. And, and each one of us, again, can think about people in our lives. We don't have to be therapists. We can think about one or two people in our lives that we can um, commit to speaking to uh, regularly, and that already makes a difference. Um, so, where do you know where, where you're, you're applying now, right? You, you don't know where I, you're going yet. I was applying the last year, I committed to UCLA. Well, my alma mater. I studied psychology there for my master's. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, that's last So you're supposed to be starting Thank you. this year. I'm starting in fall. I might start right here. I might start in Los Angeles, but I'm starting in the fall. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well. Dia can't hear you. Hi. Hi, Tita. Um, I just had some little insight um, to what you were saying. You know, I think we all feel a sense of different type of loneliness, you know, even though we might be surrounded by family. You know, we're not all in Israel together at Minot like we usually are, or some of our family is far away, or even spiritually, like we don't feel as connected as we were before just because we're kind of huddled up into our house is not really able to um, worship with anyone else, go to synagogue, you know, have our daily studies, things like that. But I think if we all can kind of 
come together in a different sense and kind of keep each other on track and things like that can help us get through this until everything is kind of back to normal. Absolutely. Um, to be with each other so that we, and, and as Nora said at the beginning, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big gift that we have the ability to do Zooms and to, to have WhatsApp and to, to see each other. I mean, your smiles right now are really kind of, I really miss teaching in my note and I miss my group and seeing your faces and, and your smiles really fills my heart. It's just, um, and I am thankful. Hi, Sisa, seeing your face, <laughs> literally. Um, thank you for showing your face. It's, uh, as you can see, it's like I'm, I'm beaming from it because because of the social isolation, we, we don't get to, to do it often enough. And we, we take, we take I, I realize how much we've taken it for granted. Like that's the way we've lived since age zero. And all of a sudden there's this new reality. Um, so, so yeah, it is a responsibility, but I think for all of us to, to connect in that, in that way. Can, I, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, okay, first, hi. Sorry for the tech troubles. Um, I was just going to share that something you said a couple weeks ago really resonated with me and has helped me throughout this time. So um, I guess I wanted to share it with this larger group about how you get to choose what you're letting in during this time and what you're saying. And so when this all started and all anyone was talking about was Corona, I felt like you know, the right thing to do was to be listening to the news and to be abreast everything that's going on. And then I decided that that's not how I want to spend my time. And that's not what I want to fill my head with during this time. Um, and I also don't need to bring that up to others. So to um, gently gear conversations away from it and to other topics, because life is going on and there's more to talk about. Um, and if nothing else, find a way to talk about Parsha or talk about just literally anything besides it um, to give people kind of a break. So thanks for putting that in my head and giving me that tool. I'm so glad you're saying that. Thank you. I, I'm not sure how, first of all, because I wasn't sure I had such technical problems, even more than tonight, that I wasn't sure if any, anyone heard anything that evening. I gave a class two weeks ago in a different format and I came up so frustrated because I was like, I don't think anyone got anything. So thank you um, for that. And, and you're kind of, I feel like you're connecting these two thoughts together, the idea of you know, taking out our, our loneliness and other people and connecting with each other. Um, and you're saying that what you took from that is, is you know, how we relate to each other and what's the content that we're speaking to each other, and are we bringing more anxiety and fear into people's lives into our own lives, first and foremost, or are we bringing more kadusha and positivity um, into our lives and then into other people's lives, um, and that's, that's really a, a big kavana, that's like a big intention before we um, go to speak with someone, like I know Tony Robbins, the coach, we speak about having intention. Like, what's your intention before anything you do? And he says, even if you go to see a friend, what's your intention? And I love that you hold that in and you ask yourself, like, my intention now is to either give people a, a break 
about something that brings up a lot of anxiety, bringing Borat into the conversation, bringing things that are joyous. Um, so thank you. That's definitely an intention to keep in mind when we are connecting and relating to other people. Because you're right, we could be like, let's call someone who's lonely. I mean, I do think it's important to let people discuss and validate their experience. Like people are lonely and they want to discuss it. And then to take them and, and to, to ask yourself, like, what is my kavana there? Like, what do I want to do in this conversation? If I want to uplift the person, how can I do that? Um, so thank you for sharing that view. Of course. Thank you. Anyone else want to share anything or any thoughts or questions? Okay. Well, it's great to see you all. Amy, I didn't hear from you, but I don't. I feel like I don't. Um, uh, haven't gotten to know you, but uh, I hope we all get to see each other, God willing, next week, uh, Monday night. Uh, we should take in this time of um, a Memorial Day right now in in Israel. Um, my son asked me today. He's ten. He said, "Wait, I don't get, understand how we do this transition between Memorial Day and Independence Day, which is so happy." And I and I said, to him, it's, "It's actually not so simple to make that transition for the families of the fallen soldiers or people who died in terrorist attacks. Um, it, it really brings up very extreme emotions in both directions, like intense happiness and yomat ma'ut." Um, but, but today is a hard day. Um, we had the siren earlier here. Um, we stood for a minute, and we'll have that tomorrow morning again for two minutes. Um, and so I hope that this period of time um, from now on brings us joy and health and connectedness um, in general and light. Um, and we should hear good news, good tidings, the soul of the vote. Um, and I hope to see you soon next week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Lila Tov. Bye. Miss you. Bye. Have a good night. Or a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bye. It was so good to see you. Likewise. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Bye, Anastasia. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye, ladies. See you.